We're going through um, foundations of our beliefs this summer. <clears throat> Doing things like who is God and what does it mean to trust. And we get to what is sin and Mark leaves. <laughs> so I guess I'll be the scapegoat. Let me pray for help before we get on to this one. Lord, I just thank you for you, who you are. I thank you for the fellowship of, of believers, the comfort that comes in that, the comfort that comes through your spirit and your word. Just be with me today and help me, help guide my words that I might not say anything inaccurate or hurtful, but say things that are true and helpful. So be with us today for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so the title's not mine. It was given to me. The title is, um, What is Sin? And why do I like it so much? I don't know if he was giving that specifically to me or just in general for everyone. But before, I know that um, he's, we've been trying to do more uh, conversational type things, so I'm going to get some feedback right off the bat here, and I want to see if you have any opinions on this. Why is this question even an important question? Anyone have any ideas? Okay. That's why I don't like asking questions, because then they take my notes for me. <laughs> no, that's good. Any other thoughts on that? Is it an important question? Okay. Because believe it or not, some, some, there are some that don't believe so. I've heard people say that it's, you know, it's just a mean, nasty, negative thing to say, and why don't we just talk about good and pleasant and pleasing things? My, my point here is, first of all, if Scripture is correct, then sin is a reality, not a possibility. Sin is dangerous and damaging. Therefore, it would be wise if we are aware enough to handle it correctly. It's, it's here, whether you, whether, you, whether you realize it or not. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest I think it's probably here more than you realize it. And for us to take a posture of saying, well, actually identifying and, and, and being specific about what sin is, <clears throat> you know, if you take that posture of that's not that important or not that helpful, then it's kind of like someone with, with uh, cancer saying, well, I feel fine, so just leave me alone. Uh, sooner or later, it, it, it'll get you uh, if it's not dealt with. Secondly, is, is the point that was just mentioned, our, our religion is a salvation-by-request religion. Salvation-by-request is central to the Christian faith. And if people don't know they're sinners, they don't ask to be saved. So what are we doing if we don't know that we're sinners, if we're not dealing with the idea of, of sin? Just patting each other on the back and saying, have a good day and be nice. We'll, we'll be nicey so we need to know what sin is so that we might take it seriously as well as respond to it and resist it correctly. So I'll probably ask some more questions as we go, but for the most part, I have a lot of content that I want to deal with. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with the question, what is sin, quite a bit. And I'm going to put it into a bunches of groups of three. I didn't notice that until this morning, but I have a lot of groups of three for those of you who are note takers. Um, and if you don't get all the notes and you want them, I could print them out. But first of all, let me answer the question, what is sin? And I'm going to answer it with, with this, wrong actions. I have three ways of answering it. The first one is wrong actions. Um, my college professor would call these sins of commission. These are sins that we do. It's most easily seen 
in, in the written word. God says, don't do this. We do this. That's sin. Now, that's where we mostly leave it there. You know, when we deal with sin, we mostly leave the category of sin right there. Oh, man, I just did something God didn't want me to. That's sin. That's true. But I, I believe when I study Scripture that sin is a lot deeper than that. In Romans 1, Paul writes about the issue of nature. For what can be known about God is plain to them, he writes, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And the last thing, so they are without excuse. So Paul seems to think, and I agree with him, that there's something about the way the world is made. There's something about creation itself that just spells out stuff about God, stuff about God's character, stuff about right and wrong. And therefore, in God's mind, even if you're unaware of his written law, you're aware of his laws because of nature itself. Therefore, you're guilty. Therefore, that's sin. So there are sins that are, that are part of who we are simply because of the laws of nature that we violate. This one's the one that I find most interesting, though the scripture doesn't say as much about it, is the laws on our heart. There's only about two verses, I think, in the, in the Bible that talks about conscience. There's a professor in Texas, uh, Dr. Bud Zizunski. took me a long time to figure out how to pronounce his name. I'm not going to try and spell it, but anyway. Um, but he wrote a book called What We Can't Not Know. And he, he's done scientific studies on the issues of conscience, that within each of us, there's a concept of right and wrong. In fact, the scripture does speak about that. The next chapter, Romans 2, Paul writes, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse, even excuse them. Now, whether or not you believe the conscience is there, we've all dealt with it, right? You call it whatever you want, but we've all dealt with the conscience. We've done things and inside, without even knowing where a verse, or if there's a verse that deals with it, inside you just have that feeling like, oh, that was wrong. That was wrong. And when you go around the world, even like tribal areas, you'll find out that everybody's got that built into them. There's a law that God has put in our hearts. So we, are, we, are sin, we, we commit sins when we break his written word. We commit sins when we break the, the laws that are obvious within nature. And we commit sin when we break the laws that God has programmed into our hearts. God has gone out of his way to give us his laws. I mean, he's gone out of his way to give us a scripture. But according to scripture, he's given us laws in, in many ways. And we tend to fall short on all of those. This is going to get heavier and heavier and heavier for a little while. And I'm going to try and lighten up. But sin is not an easy topic. It's not a fun topic. It doesn't feel good. It's like going to the doctor. And that's what Pastor Mark asked me to do. So, <laughs> He'll probably listen to a recording of this and I'll get in trouble. Anyway, <laughs> when the pastor's away, the staff will play. Anyway. Don't forget the last thing there. That Jesus reminds us that violation of God's law includes wrong thoughts. Um, it was Jesus who wrote, who, who told us in, in one of his teachings that if a, if a man um, simply lusts after someone in his heart, that, that, that's the same as committing adultery. If someone has hatred in their heart, that's the same as murder. 
And so we're guilty of sin, even if we can discipline ourselves from physically committing a wrong action, if we entertain the wrong action in our head, it's already there. How, How condemning, how guilty am I? It's a heavy weight to carry. However, sin is more than sins of commission, wrong actions. Sin is, sin is also neglected actions, or our, my professor would say sins of omission. Now, now, I know some people might say this sounds like nitpicking. Isn't a refusal to obey a law the same as breaking a law? Okay, but it's helpful for me. It's helpful for me to look at this differently. Some people feel that if they can insulate themselves from the temptation to do wrong and from the forces that influence them to break a law, then they'll be just fine with God. I mean, what is the common thing that we hear? I want to say from kids, but it seems like I hear from adults just as much. I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, was that enough? Is, 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 is that enough? I didn't do anything wrong and that makes everybody okay with God? Too many people feel, feel that God is a God of don'ts. That the whole thing about the Christian life is don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do this, 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 and the other, and I'll throw a few more don'ts in there just to be, keep it safe, and then I'll be great with God. This is what I've come to believe about Scripture. The most in, important commands in Scripture are not commands of abstinence. That is, God is not simply telling you not to do certain things, but the most important commands are the commands of action. Consider what James writes. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And I, I, I want to say that many times we don't consider very seriously this category of sin. We, we get stuck in a very, and, and no offense intended, because I'm in this boat, but we get, a, we get stuck in this very adolescent attitude of, I didn't do anything wrong. So why is God mad at me? I'm going to spell this out a little bit with you. Do not think that avoidance of wrong behavior alone eliminates sin from your life. Do not think also that busy activity in obedience is absent from sin. We think that we can scurry around and do church stuff all the time and that, that's going to make us right with God. Well, consider this very ironic rebuke that God gives Israel through Isaiah. In Isaiah 58. Here's what we read. I'm going, to read the, I'm going to read the whole thing, probably. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob, their sins. Uh, wh- what exactly are they doing? Let's see. They seek me daily. Oh, that's bad. Well, no, that sounds pretty good to me. And, oh, they also delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did... That did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God, they ask me righteous judgments. So they're asking God for righteous judgments. Does that sound wrong? It sounds okay to me. God's angry for some reason, but they seem to be doing good things. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Notice their actions. They sound like they're good, obedient followers of God's ways. Why is God all upset? They even go on and say that. Well, I already read that. Why have we fasted and you've not seen it? They, they, they seem rightfully frustrated. But then God answers and starts to bring some clarity to what's going on here. He says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. 
Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Now listen where he really digs in here. In verse 5. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? If you stop there, it still sounds like they're doing okay things. Isn't it okay to humble yourself? They're humbling themselves. They're bowing down like a reed. They're spreading sackcloth and ashes in their mourning. God says that not doing the wrong thing is not enough. Listen to where he goes in verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of, the, of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? See, if we think God is just a God of don'ts, then we fall into that category and we feel like everything is just fine. Why is God mad at me? I'm humbling myself. I'm reading the scripture. They're reading the scripture. They're going and seeking his judgments, right? I'm, I, I, I have the sackcloth and ashes thing going. I even have a day dedicated for God. And God says, I'm not even listening to you. Read Isaiah 58 in its entirety sometime. In all of their obedience, God says, I don't even want to listen to it. They failed to do the things that were important to God. God is not impressed with empty religious rituals. God's ways are always fueled by his love and compassion. And we are called to be the hands and feet of his mercy. And when we refuse this, it's sin. That's, like I said, I'm going to get more weighty as we go. I'd like to be able to say, well, we sin because we disobeyed commands in the Bible. But Isaiah 58 and others, uh, they they strike at the root of that. Isaiah goes on in chapter 58 and begins to talk about blessings that result with that kind of fasting. I have a third category to answer the question, what is sin? The first is committing wrong actions. The second is neglecting right actions. The third, and I'll be honest, I was a little confused on what to do with this third section. I think that this is part of sin. It might answer the question better. Um, of describing the nature of sin, I'm not sure. But you sin because you do wrong things. You sin because you don't do right things. And thirdly, you sin because you're alive. Because you're alive. Prior to violations and disobedience, we already have sin. In the midst of abstaining from wrong and choosing obedience, we continue in sin. For me, sin is easier to understand when I think of it as a state of being. That is, more than committing sins, we are sinners. It's in us. I I go so far as to say every fabric of our being is tainted by sin to one degree or another. I used to think about that when I was a high school Bible teacher. I'd be teaching the classes and and thinking about, well, you know, can I have a righteous day, please? Um, and I have these days where I was really just, I was, in my, I was in my mode. I was teaching and kids were getting convicted and they're getting saved and, and wanting to be missionaries. And, and, I, and I was getting excited and I was sitting here thinking, 
I've got to be one of the best Bible teachers in the country. (laughs) And it just hit me. I'm like, man, (laughs) there I did it. I'm doing a good thing, and sin is right there. It's right there. Consider 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, I want to highlight the wording here. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. John didn't write, if we say we don't sin, that would be talking about things that we do. Um, you, you deceive yourself. He said, if we have no sin, and the way John words things, what he's talking about is you, you own it. It's in you. You are a sinner. More than the fact that you commit sins, you are a sinner. So why am I like this? Why am I in this situation? I feel hopeless, I feel useless, I feel depressed, and this message in and of itself right now, uh, I wouldn't want to come back to the church. <laughs> we'll leave it here. But I'm not going to give you any rest yet. I want to answer that question some more. How did I get this way? There are, there are several explanations that theologians will, will give, and I think there are aspects of truth in all of them. So I'll give you three that I came, that I came across. The first one is you sin from example. Now, now this, one's, this one's probably the least significant, according to the Bible, I think, for, for this reason. Let me clarify. Bad examples are not the reason we are sinners, but it can be a factor in the sins we commit. You're a sinner with or without bad examples. I, I hate scapegoat Christianity, you know. He made me do it. Yeah. You don't know what my, my, um, my parenting was like. There's a, there's a song by one of my favorite um, artists, Steve Taylor, um, called Violent Blue. And um, in the last verse, he says, I don't believe that's the way you were raised or the, cor- or the cards you were dealt or a poor sim- self-image. I think you love yourself too much. We're, we're sinners without, with, with or without bad examples. But I'm going to entertain this one because it is, there is truth in that. There is truth that the examples that are around us can, can prey on our sin and help teach us bad habits of sinfulness. Jesus references this in Matthew 23, 15. Actually, all of Matthew 23, because I'm a sinner, I am kind of have a sick interest in this chapter. Because um, this is one of those chapters where, where Jesus is just really angry with the Pharisees. And I, I know you don't get tone of voice in the scripture, but I can't believe that he wasn't raising his voice a little bit in this chapter. I mean, he's just calling them name after name after name after name. And in this one, in this verse, it's just uh, in the list of many, he says, <clears throat> Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. He said that to their faces in public. I want to see a videotape of that. <laughs> you know? Oh my goodness. But he says it. He says, y- y- you're making bad examples, guys. <laughs> you're not converting them to anything righteous. You're converting them to some awful, legalistic, perverted ways. Secondly, why am I like this? Why am, is being alive make me a sinner? Through heredity. Scripture speaks of this as well. We inherit a damaged DNA, so to speak. We are predisposed through our parents, ultimately Adam, to sin. 
Ephesians talks about this, or hints at it at least. And you were dead in your trans, trans, ah, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, uh, among whom we all once lived. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So why am I like this? Well, I have bad examples that at least influence me to be more like this. But Scripture says that I got something wrong with me. There's something broken and damaged in me. I, I'm following by nature. I'm a child of wrath. <clears throat> Thirdly, and this is the more, probably the most difficult one to explain, but also I think it's the most significant one theologically. I'm a sinner by declaration. There's a sense that because of our human identification with Adam, we are declared guilty of sin apart from any actions we make. Guilty by association, so to speak. I am a human, and Adam, as the first human, set the stage and therefore we are all declared sinners. If, if, that's, if that's hard, Romans 5 kind of helps me quite a bit with it. <clears throat> he writes, Therefore, as one, as one tras- trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Did you do anything? Did you do anything to be called righteous? No, I didn't. But in Christ, God has called me that. I'll elaborate more. And in the same way, that's why we're sinners in Adam. If this feels hopeless, you know... It almost it brings me to a point sometimes, well, what, whatever then, you know? So I've got bad examples everywhere. I've got broken DNA. I'm, I'm, I'm part of the human race. What's the point? If that frustrates you, if that makes you feel hopeless, I, I think Paul relates. Listen in Romans 7, one of, the, one of the best passages that deals with this. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For... For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He goes on and says that, that famous line, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? If you feel frustrated in this state of being that we, that we are in, Paul was too. But if you're familiar with the Bible, Romans doesn't end in chapter 7. He goes on the next verse and says thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord so then i myself serve the law of god with my mind but with my flesh i serve the law of sin and then chapter eight there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus 
in light of the fact of the extent of my sin and my sinfulness, chapter 8 is a wonderful verse. And let me take a little break here from the sin thing and let me talk a little bit about the gospel. Because regardless of which of the above is a factor in us committing sin, the gospel gives us the solution. I mean, just say, let's say, say if you can put the excuse on the bad examples that you have, and it's not the reason you're a sinner, but just say, you, you want to put the excuse on the examples that you have, the gospel gives us a better example. In First in, in Peter, he writes, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. We have a better example you take our eyes off of, of, of all those bad examples. You could look square at the face of Christ and in his ways and in his teachings. He says, this is your example. This is your example. Follow this. If, if I sin because the damaged DNA I received through Adam, the gospel gives us cleansing and healing. I love the way Ezekiel puts it as he prophetically speaks of the coming salvation. This is what I need. This, this one Oh, I I pray this a lot. (laughs) He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. I know that sounds weird, but I actually looked it up. That's how that ESV words it. I feel like it's to say uncleanliness, but uncleannesses? All right, I'm getting this... (laughs) I'm distracted. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He's going to do surgery on us. That's what I need. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what I need. I'm broken. I have broken DNA. I got... got I bad heredity from, from Adam and all my parents and grandparents and on and on and on. And it's in me. I'm born with a, with a, a proneness to, to sin. And God says, I'm going to take that heart out of you. I'm going to give you a new one. Now, now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Different people have different salvation experiences. My wife, for instance, um, you know, received the gospel when she was four. So, but some of us have experiences where we didn't get saved till older. I was 17. And I tell you what, when I got saved, that's what it felt like. Maybe not the cutting part, but it felt like I didn't know the lights were off. And all of a sudden they're on, you know? Something's new in me. Something's functioning in my brain that never functioned before. Something's functioning in my heart and my affections that never worked before. When I got saved, I felt like that. And it doesn't mean I stopped sinning, you know. But things started working. There's something new that was beginning to happen. And that's exactly what Ezekiel's talking about. Now, for me, I... No. I got saved that affected my GPA also, but I'm not going to say that that's the way God works. <laughs> I went from like a 1.7 to a 3.8 and praise Jesus. <laughs> but I, I, I've been around long enough to know that that's not how it works. But something radically happened in 17 with me. So if, so if you want to say that you have bad DNA, well, you know what? The gospel has an answer for that. What if it's a declaration that you're, that you're worried about? Well, then what I need 
is I need someone with authority to call me something different than I am. This is a weird concept. I think it's a weird concept, but the gospel addresses it. In Romans 4, he says, The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. That's what I need. I know what I am, and I need to call it something that I'm not. Uh, were you able to get the Corinthians verse up there? Oh, good, good, good. It won their first service. Second Corinthians 5.21. Listen carefully to this. Listen carefully to who is being called what. And think about the unfairness of this verse. And ask yourself if you'd want fairness. That's not fair. Well, this isn't fair, but this is what we need. God made him, talking about Jesus Christ, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's not fair. Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm not the righteousness of God. How can you call me the righteousness of God? That's not fair, right? But that's what I need. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him he's going to call me the righteousness of God. I need a new declaration. I need to be called something that I'm not. Otherwise, I'll never be in the presence of God. And that's what Jesus does. He says, I'll be called sin. Here, you be called righteous. Ultimately, we need to be born again. This is exactly what Jesus earned for us when he suffered and died and rose from the grave. I'm not going to take for granted that that everybody in here is, is saved. I hope so. But some of you may be living the Christian life, thinking that I know what it's about. It's about get, cleaning up my sin act. You know, I'm just going to get my sin issues dealt with. You know, and going to church, they have like a lot of good concepts of dealing with sin. You know, that prayer thing kind of helps sin out. I'm going to get rid of my sin. And, and um, they got a lot of programs. You know, I can get involved in missions programs, and that'll, that's good stuff, so that'll get rid of my sin. And, you know, if, if, that's, if that's what you think the Christian life is, is, is about, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. What you need is to be born again. You are a sinner. You have sinned. Until Christ returns again and finishes the job, we'll continue to sin. Getting your sin act together is not the issue. Being born again is the issue. Looking at God and saying, I trust you. Thank you. Thank you that you called your son sin so that you could call me righteous. And I could be in the presence of God. And I'll trust that. My righteousness is in one place alone. My righteousness is in Christ. I don't create righteousness. I mean, I try and do good things, but I don't create righteousness. So, that's the best answer I can come up with for the question, what is sin? Um, but uh, Pastor Mark gave me a second question, and is that, that's why do I like sin so much? And so I want to deal with that question for a little bit. Why do I like sin so much? Well, guess what? I have three answers to that. I do a lot of groups of three. I told you that. But um, the, first, the first answer is, I like sin because I like the wrong things. We like the wrong things. 
Now, that sounds like, duh, but let me explain. <clears throat> uh, you see the verse there. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I, um, I preached a sermon, I guess about eight years ago, that was called, um, Is Jesus a Liar? Now, I know that that sounds, I hope that doesn't sound too offensive. It, it was intended to get people's attention. But it was based on what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Nice verses. I hear people love to quote those verses all the time. But seriously, seriously, think through those verses for a second. If the truth is that we find it difficult to keep Jesus' commands, how can Jesus say my burden is life? Because I, I don't know about you, but, but keeping the commands are not easy. They're not light. They're a burden. You know? And maybe I'm just the chief of sinners up here whining, and you're saying, well, that's just you. You've got issues. If, <laughs> you know? I don't know. It just, it's, it's not easy. And so then I come back to Matthew 11, and I say, well, then was Jesus lying? He said it would be easy. He said it would be light. Either Jesus is lying, or I got something messed up. And because I believe the, the, the scriptures, I, I believe I got something messed up. <laughs> Don't worry. I can see worried faces like, do we just hire a pastor that thinks Jesus is a liar? <clears throat> Why don't we keep stones in these chairs? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. And this is a little bit off topic, but I'll, I'll bring it into topic. What do, you, what do you like to do? Just tell me something you like to do. Anybody. Huh? Hunt? You like to hunt. Legal things, right? <laughs> Good. I'll be careful. What else? Anybody? What, what are some of the things you guys like to do? You like to sing. I do too. Mark. You like to read. Good, yes. Eat. Me too. Um, sleep. Good, good. So we have things we like to do. Well, you take your categories, and I want you to plug them into your head. I know probably everybody has something in their mind that they say they like. All right, I like, I like guitars. I don't have my guitar up there today. But I love guitars. And if I came into work... And my boss commanded me, I'm commanding you, that all day today, you have to play the guitar. That's not going to, no problem, right? No problem at all. Now, is it going to be difficult? Yeah, practicing guitar can be hard work and difficult. But am I going to have a problem with it? I, I don't even have to hesitate. I don't have to discipline myself one bit. I do it because it's the very thing I want to do. I just needed someone to tell me to do it. I love playing guitar. That is a command that is not burdensome to me, is it? So, let's come back to whether or not Jesus is a liar. This is love for God, that we keep his commands, and his commandments are not burdensome. Is the issue with the command... The issue is we like the wrong things. We like the wrong things. When does the commands of God become light and easy? 
when, be, when they become the very things that you already want to do. And if you have a problem with obeying a God, it's because you like the wrong things. I don't want to obey God because I don't want to love my enemy. My heart's wrong. It's messed up. I, I, I don't want to serve certain people. I don't want to give certain things. I don't want to give that much. My heart is not like God's heart. Why do I like sinning? Because I like the wrong things. What do I need to do? Well, I mean, the, the simple thing, which isn't the end-all solution, but we do need to get our heads straight. We need to learn better what God's commands are and why he gave them the compassionate heart that he had. But I think even more importantly, when I realize that my heart is so wrong and that's why his commands aren't easy, then you just you have to pray. You have to take the, the posture of a beggar. I, I know that's undignified and un-American. But I think it's the posture that we should be in. We, we take the posture of a beggar and say, God, help me. Perform the spiritual surgery that needs to take place. Remove my heart of stone. Give me a heart of flesh. We need to pray like the desperate father in Mark 9 who said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, help me to love my enemy. Help me so much that it becomes my joy, not, not what I dread. Why do I like sinning so much? Because we like the wrong things. Secondly, we like the right things in the wrong ways. Um, I was going to make this a discussion point, but I'll probably just move on with it and just to describe it with you guys a little bit. Just like I d- explained with my, with, with my teaching, was it a wrong thing to teach? Did I turn it into a sinful thing by being so arrogant and prideful? That could be done with everything. Sometimes we like the right things, but we like them in the wrong, thing, wrong ways. Someone said they like to sleep. That's a good thing. But if we, if we like it so much that it becomes our God and it becomes slothfulness, or here's a big one in our society, productivity. Is productivity a bad thing? Well, no, no. I mean, the Scriptures command us to be productive, effective, efficient people. But what happens in our culture is it turns into self-sufficiency, which is unbiblical. We're supposed to be interdependent with one another, leaning on one another and sharing and helping. And instead, what it turns into is, I don't need you, I don't need you, I certainly don't need you, and I don't even think I need God that much because I'm doing pretty well on my own. Productivity is a virtuous thing, but it turns into a sinful thing when it's it turns it when it's done in the wrong way. Food <laughs> turns into gluttoning. Stewardship. We're supposed to handle our resources well, but then it turns into hoarding. A good reputation, the Bible says, we should, we should strive after. But then it turns into pride because I have such a good reputation. Trust is placed in the wrong things. Sometimes we, we trust systems more than we trust God. Sometimes we trust false gods. Um, we love and that's a good thing. But some of us stop loving when we don't get loved in return. Maybe when we're loving for the right reasons. Maybe it's, you know, it's nice to be loved back, but that shouldn't be the fuel for why we love one another. 
We serve so that people will serve us back. We give so that we'll get back. And that's one of my most despised concepts, is, um, which is running through actually the world. Lots of places in Africa even are embracing this thing called the prosperity gospel. And to me, I think it guts the heart of what Christianity is all about. It's not about that. It's not about giving just so you get, could be made rich. It's not historically accurate or biblically accurate. And so why do I like sinning? Why do I like to sin? Um, well, because I like the wrong things. And I like the right, right things in the wrong ways. And thirdly, why do I like to sin? Or why do I like sin? Is Because um, we like ourselves too much. I used to say that if I could take myself out of any given situation, I'd probably take sin out of the situation. Right? I mean, so often when I, when, when I sin, it has something to do with my selfishness. It has something to do with my, my fear. You can't spell sin without I. I know that's cheesy, but I... <laughs> but I, I sin. I sin. Sin is in the world because of me. I'm not going to blame anybody else because of me. It's my sin. Let me wrap this up with, um, with a couple suggestions here. How, how should we respond to this? <clears throat> the first thing is honesty. Honesty. Just brutal, fearless honesty. You need to know your sin. You need to own your sin. You need to take responsibility for your sin. You need to be honest about it. Remember what John said in, in one eight. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Yet, yet so often in our churches, we have people that, that, that posture themselves like this. You know, I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm a good, upstanding Christian person. Okay, you're, you're probably a great person, and I, 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 but... Please don't take it to the point where you think that you have no sin. Because Scripture gives great warning for that. Jeremiah 2 says, Yet in spite of all these things, you say I am innocent. Surely his anger has turned from me. That's what you say. God responds, Behold, I will bring you to judgment for saying I have not sinned. You want to attempt to claim that you're without sin? Good luck with that judgment thing. Because that's coming from God, and that's a, that's a fright, frightening place to be. You want to deal with your sin, I think one of the most neglected areas, one of the most helpful areas, is just be honest and admit it. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Secondly, secondly, rejoice. How do you respond to the fact that you're a sinner? Rejoice! And, and not because sin is a trivial, light thing. No, but rejoice of what, what God says and declares and does in light of the fact that you're a sinner. I already looked at this verse again, but I love this verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If that doesn't make things jump spiritually in you and make you want to rejoice... <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, it, I am a sinner. God's called me righteous. 
you're speechless with that. There's nothing you can say, but praise God. Listen to Psalm 32. I think it's worded well in Psalm 32. He writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man who, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, when I lied and I was dishonest, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. I acknowledged my sin to you. I was honest. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We, 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 don't, we don't practice rejoicing enough, you know? And I'm not talking about just singing songs and stuff like that. But I mean, meditating on what God has done for you. Really think about it. I am a sinner. And he called me righteous. I deserve punishment. And he took it. If you can't re- rejoice about that, I don't know. That depresses me, <laughs> you know? Thirdly, and I'll say this, and I hope it doesn't, isn't taken out of context. But thirdly, <clears throat> I think this is the least significant of the three. But it is, it is a real one, so I want to I touch on it a little bit. We respond by being honest about our sin. We s- respond by rejoicing in unmerited grace. And we respond, we respond to the fact that we are sinners with discipline. It is a part of of the Christian life. And I say it's the least significant because when we discipline ourselves, we often immediately go into a self-righteous pride. And that's not what I'm talking about, discipline. But what I am talking about is what Romans talked about, what Paul talked about in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No way. By no means. And I know that at the first half of this message, this is exactly how I felt at that point. You know? (sighs) Bad examples, bad DNA, bad declaration. I sin. I sin in my thoughts. I sin in my failures. To I sin because I'm a human. Whatever. I just keep doing that, I guess. And Paul says, no, 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 no. No, don't just continue in sin. It's true. You will continue in sin. But you don't just on purpose try. What we do is we embrace Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite verses. I think it might be Pastor Mark's, too, because I hear him quote it all the time. But it's, um, <laughs> someone tell, help me. I just had a, I could do, no, that's, for in all things, God works all things out for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. So, so, so this is the, this is the posture that I take with discipline, is I, I work to be everything that God wants me to be, and I know that I'm going to mess it up. And what does he do? He takes all things and works it for his good, or for my good, actually, for the good of those who are called according to his. So I work, and I fall short. God takes my falling short, works it for my good. I try again. I fall short. He works it for my good. I try again. I fall short. He works it for my good. See what, see what I'm saying? We admit our sin. We're honest with the fact that I am a sinner. And I'll continue to sin. And we use it to free us up to continue trying, knowing that no matter what, 
God's going to take it and use it for good. So what? no, we don't just say, I'm a sinner and whatever. By no means, Paul says. But here's what Paul says, and he says this later in his life. So for those of you who feel like you've been in the Christian faith long enough that uh, you, you got most of your sin dealt with, um, well, man, you did better than Paul. Because here's what Paul writes in Philippians 3. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we are in a good place. We are sinners. We, we really are. Um, but God has called us righteous. And for that reason, we have, we have hope. We have hope in our actions. We have hope in our communities. We have hope in this church. And we press on. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you that you didn't look at the world and just say, what a mess. Too bad for them. But in your compassion, you said, I will do everything I can, everything at my own expense, in order to justify a way to call them righteous. And we praise you for that. I pray that our, our spirits of gratitude and joy will bleed over into our families and our communities to the ends of the earth for your purposes and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm still getting used to this whole pastoring thing, so I don't know how we, how Pastor Mark probably says something real poetic at the end. I probably will say something like, I'm done. <laughs> but, um, but take it to heart. I, I hope I said something that will help you to take it to heart, to, to, own up, to own up to the fact of your sinfulness, but don't let it break you, to rejoice in God, to continue loving, knowing that it falls short, but that's not the point. So, praise God and have a good day.